We are in part nine of our Joshua series, and this story is absolutely fascinating to me. It is so applicable to our lives. It is so something we can engage with. I entitled part nine, The Soft Spot. Everybody know what the soft spot is on a little baby's head? Right, that's the part you don't poke, right? Okay, because there's a little skull still forming, and there's a little soft spot right there. All right, this is, this is kind of a play on words with that. What we're going to be talking about a lot today is spiritual warfare and what the enemy will try to do to take you out of the game. You're going to watch the enemy completely mess with Israel's head, and it's going to be very similar to the way that Satan works with us. So as we begin, let me give you a couple pieces. Number one, the year of servanthood might as well have been called the year of obedience. Because all I'm going to do every week is remind you what do servants do, whatever the master asks them to do. We are to live lives of radical obedience. Good times, bad times. We say, yes, sir. When we feel like it, when we don't feel like it, we say, yes, sir. That is the heart of a servant. But there's a big difference between radical obedience and legalism. Your motivations are different. Radical obedience is I'm going to do what God says, all of what God says. Legalism says I need to put people in easy categories and start judging people and making clear distinctions about who they are and who they are not. That's not your job. Legalism is not what we want. Radical obedience is. But I will tell you this. Even while you're trying to be obedient, Satan is trying to look for the weak spot in your armor. And he will play dirty. He will hit below the belt. He will damage children. And he will beat you up any possible way that he can. When Jesus taught the parable of the sower, did you see how much the seeds were attacked? Birds fly down, take them out. The weeds come in, choke them out. Right? They go up, the sun beats them down and burns them. There's all this heat coming on the seeds that God is trying to sow in your life. So we need to be a little bit more aware of the tricks of the enemy. Israel is about to learn the hard way. But I will tell you this, Satan will prowl around your house and look for a way to get in. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. Keep all your doors locked. Keep all your doors locked. And you go, I do. What are you talking about? I'm super suspicious. All right. Who has a key? Probably the people you love. Can they be trusted with a key to your home? Because sometimes the greatest compromise we'll ever do is with people we love. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9 verse 1. Let's just recap. It's page 157 in the Bibles that were handed to you. Uh, let's recap. Israel just had that big victory with Jericho. Walls came down. God said, don't touch my stuff. One of the Jews touched his stuff. They ended up losing the next battle, fell apart. Remember, oh, what's going on? God said, get off your face. Something's wrong. They're sinning in the camp. Fix it. They fixed it, won the next battle, and they had this big recommitment service just like we did last week. Focused on the word of God. A lot of us came down to the altar. We cried out to God. People received Christ for the first time. People rededicated their lives to the Lord. Last week, while all that was going on, while all Israel was doing that, the enemy was assembling to attack. While you're on your knees, focused on God, 
Satan is plotting your demise. I'm just going to read two verses and then we'll pray for it. Joshua chapter 9. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, meaning the loss at Jericho and Ai, those in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, meaning the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are very aware that our enemy seeks to devour. We are very clear, Lord, that we have weak spots in our lives. Would you shine a light on those and show us how to sure up the levee that it might not break under pressure? Would you give us the ability to speak into one another's lives with grace and love to show us the weak points that we may not be caught unaware? And may you build us into your image. And whenever we begin to fail, Lord, may we hide behind the shield of faith that extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is what the verse says. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan, that's in the promised land area, all right? All these are small city-states. They all have kings. It's not one big people group. It's a whole bunch of people groups. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, meaning those in the hill country, the mountains, those in the plains or in the western foothills, those along the entire coast of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, when all those kings, as far as Lebanon, meaning the kings of all these different various people groups... When they heard about what Israel had done, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. It's funny, they usually fight amongst themselves. They didn't get along before this. But when you have a brand new big enemy, you drop all your petty squabbles and you go to attack. They're gathering together to make war. While Israel is having a reunion and a recommitment time with God. Let me make it practical. And I want to see a serious show of hands. Don't you lie to me. Serious show of hands, how many of you have ever gone on a retreat and came home and fought with your spouse? Yeah, you better believe it. All right, all you guys that your wives just raised your hand, you were in that fight. Okay, so you should have just raised your hand. All right. Why? Because you have this incredible mountaintop experience. It happens to me almost every retreat I go on. Right? And now you have this mountaintop experience. You're connected with God. And the whole time, Satan has to figure out a way to deflate you. He has to figure out a way to knock you back down. So he arranges all kinds of things. You will walk in your house and feel a weird vibe. You'll walk in immediately you're irritated. And if you walk in from a retreat, your partner's irritated. Right? And they're thinking, oh, now you're home. Great. You were supposed to be home two hours ago. Right? Something like that. Triggers. Fires off. Instantly there's bickering. Why? Because while you were having time worshiping your God and praying and kneeling down and focusing on the Lord... Satan didn't take the day off. He was going, all right, I can't get them right where they're at because right now they're at super strength. I need to hit them right when their guard begins to go. So they're going to come back into regular life and they're going to be coming down from a high and I have to do something tricky and get them off base. And he'll start up a squabble. 
All right, now both of you are just, I don't even know why we're fighting. I know why you're fighting. Because someone's stirring the pot. That's why you're fighting. When I say, by the way, when I say that Satan attacked you, I don't mean the guy. The, the fallen angel Satan in the sense of like you're so important he left the Middle East to come over and attack you in Citrus Heights <laughs> are we clear on that one okay Satan is not omnipresent I mean that he has an agenda that his demons carry out for him okay I'm sure that there's more important stuff than whatever's going on in our lives right I'm sure he's not going hold on I gotta go start a squabble <laughs> they're like but we're trying to bring in the Antichrist I know that's not important right now, right? Okay, I get that. He's, it's just his cronies are doing his work for him. All right, there we go. However, it says, verse 3, meaning as opposed to joining this big, huge fight, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. Who in the world's Gibeon? There are a group of four cities. One of them is Gibeon. And they are... Known as Hivites, Horites, and Amorites. Whatever you want to call them. They call them Gibeonites, right? These guys live just 25 miles away from Israel as camped. They live right in the heart of the promised land, six miles from Jerusalem. They're on the list to destroy. Israel's supposed to go attack them. They're on that little list of, please wipe them all out, don't leave any alive. They know that's coming. They resort to a trick. You can either fight with brains or brawn. They're going to fight with brains while everyone else assembles to fight head on. This is their trick. When they heard what Joshua had done at Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sackcloth sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They, the men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and they wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Now, do you understand the show they just put on? They went, hey, anybody got any moldy food? Let's put that in our bags. They put on this whole performance. It's all a lie. It says, then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. They went into the heart of the enemy. That's pretty gutsy. It says, they went up to him and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. All right. Pretty straightforward, but they're lying. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? In other words, our God said very clearly, we must kill you all. Well, we're your servants, they said to Joshua. All right. What's going on? These guys are going to play off the kindness of Israel. They know they're good men. And they're going to try to take advantage of that. When I tell you to keep your doors locked, I mean all of them. Because here is what is in danger. By and large, if you're a nice person, Satan will try to use that to your advantage. He will bring something that will cause you to compromise out of the sake of being nice. The whole fact that these guys walked up on Israel and asked for a treaty tells me at least three things about Israel. Number one, they're approachable. 
They are not known to be vicious, bloodthirsty, shoot an arrow, ask questions later, right? They are approachable. They know that they are honorable men. Number two, they know that if they can make a treaty with them, Israel will not break it. They're men of their word. They just have to get the treaty signed and they'll be safe. Number three, it tells me that they somehow know the secret rules of engagement that Israel operates by. You go, what do you mean by that? In Deuteronomy chapter 20, it lays it out very clearly. Any nations inside the promised land, there's only one rule. Wipe them all out. Do not leave any breathing. Because this is a judgment by God thing. But as you settle that territory and you get into a war with someone outside the promised land, here are the rules. You must siege them and offer them an opportunity to surrender. These are God's rules for warfare. If they do not agree to your surrender, there are certain rules you adhere by. If they agree, you must put them into forced labor. You're not allowed to kill them if they surrender. If they do not surrender, you're only allowed to kill adult males. Don't touch the women. Don't touch the children. You take them into your camp. Those are the rules of engagement. Only for people outside the promised land. How do these guys know that? They clearly have all the inside scoop. Is there a mole? Right? How in the world did they figure this one out? All of a sudden, they come in and go, we have come from a very far distant country, which means we get those other rules, right? They know this. And they're going to keep mentioning how far away they're from. They're 25 miles away. Here we go. But Joshua said, who are you and where do you come from? Being suspicious, they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of your Lord God. What did they just do? Name dropped God. All right. Smart pagans can play Christians like a fiddle. How do they know? They only have to bring in Christian words. And they can manipulate you and have you do anything they want you to do. Here's how it starts every time. Brother. Did you just call me brother? I immediately am suspicious. The minute someone says that, I'm like, hold on a second. And if they start going, hey, you know what? I too follow the man upstairs. I'm like, your landlord? (laughs) I'm not sure we're talking about the same guy. All right. Because once they know they can play off those, they immediately knock down some gates and some walls. Hey, you know what? You know, I've been involved in ministry too, right? They'll try to look for catchphrases that they can throw in there to throw you off guard. That's exactly what they're doing. They're like, you know what? We've come from a long way because of God. Amen. Isn't he? High five, brother. (laughs) Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we've heard reports of him all about what he did in Egypt and all he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. You remember Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. Why are they mentioning old news? Why didn't they mention Jericho and Ai? Oh, because they're from a very distant country, and they couldn't possibly have heard about that news. Right? They're very tricky. It says, and our elders and those living in our country said to us, now take provisions for your journey. Go and meet with them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. 
Well, this bread of ours, that was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now you can see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled, those were new. But do you see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Okay, we're playing it up a little strong. What did they just do? They just led the discussion. When they mention our food is moldy, what are they going to ask them to do? Well, you're going to look at it, right? That's, they're leading the discussion so that then they'll go, hey, you know what? All right, let me check it out. Let me check out your food. See if you're telling the truth. Right? They knew that ahead of time. It's all prepped. Verse 14. If you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline verse 14. It is the heart of the whole story. And it is going to be the heart of all the failures in our lives. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. Oops. Cataclysmic problem. Remember, it's not what did God say. It's what is God saying now. Oh, but you're too intelligent to have to bother checking in with God. You know what's up. You know how to do this. Oh, okay, just go on with that. Let's see how that works. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. Uh-oh. They just involved God's name in it. And you don't ever break those. So they got duped. Do we ever get in trouble for our kindness? Absolutely. Almost all your compromise will occur with someone you care about. Why? Well, because they're doing it. You love them. So you know what? So what if I bend a couple rules? I care about them. Why? They would never lead me astray. What's the point? And you hand them a key to your house. The problem is they're not always in control of them. And they have a tendency to get pickpocketed and you lose your key. And someone else has the key to your house. My point is, when we are servants, we are obedient when we're with our friends and when we're with our enemies. At all times, as servants of God, we are obedient. Period. It doesn't matter who asks you to do what. It does not matter how sweet and kind they are. It matters what your king said. Now, you must be loving to them, but you must be loyal to the king. That has to be the dominant flavor of our lives. And not only that, did you see why they got in trouble? Because they relied on their intelligence. It's the same thing that Eve did in the garden. She was presented with an option what did God say? He said, don't eat the apple. She thought, let me think about it for a moment. And she reasoned it out, and it seemed like a good idea. No, you don't reason it out when God was clear. I get a lot of people asking me questions in counseling. Well, what do you think I should do here? I go, well, does the Bible have anything to say about that? Oh, yeah, God says it's wrong. Then why are we having this discussion? What are we talking about? Well, I just wanted to know what you thought. Who cares what I think? If it's clear, it's clear, right? Now we have to wrestle about how we're going to do that because it's monumentally difficult. That's a conversation we can have. But this whole what should I do after it's already explicitly stated is a horrible question. Because what you're trying to do is rationalize and almost always you will cave when you hit the point that says it won't hurt anybody. 
Because you think all rules are based on whether they hurt people or not. That is not correct. They are rules because God said so. You don't know all the pieces. You don't have all the information. So you're not able to make a good decision. But whenever we reason it out, because if we really want to do something, you can rationalize it. How do I know that? Because I'm king at rationalizing my sin. I know I cannot do a sin in my life that is knowingly wrong very well. That flies in the face of what I deem my integrity to be, which is actually a joke, because all I have to do is rationalize it, then I can fit it into my integrity. Right? All my sin that I do, I have to make sure is okay because it's not hurting anybody. Hmm. When God says something, his servants say, yes, sir. Don't rationalize it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to find a way where it's okay. I don't care if they're family members, girlfriends, boyfriends, children, or parents. They do not supersede your Lord. He's always first. It says this. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. Oh, look at that. That's embarrassing. Right? How do you think they felt that they got duped? Right? Now, this is one of those Bible study questions that everyone goes, I'm not going to answer that. That's a stupid question. Of course, they felt embarrassed. All right. Have you ever felt that way? Because we've got to enter into the story now. You just got ripped off. Someone played you. How's that feel? Pretty humiliating, yeah? Let me tell you a story. I haven't told this in a while. When I was first pastor here, I was about 26 years old. And as I was going through, kind of wide-eyed, running the church, my heart was enormous. All I wanted to do was help people. All I wanted to do was love on people. I was, came into contact with a gentleman that contacted me and said that his family was in desperate need. That they were going to lose everything. It was going to affect his children. He had five children at home. And he needed money. Well, I wanted to examine all the evidence. So I agreed to meet him at Sunrise Mall. I live in Folsom. Sunrise Mall was the closest meeting area. So we met at the food court of Sunrise Mall. There, he showed me all the different things about, he showed me all these forms of ID to make sure he was legitimate. I mean, he went way out of his way to go, listen, if you end up helping me out with money, I'm going to leave this with you and I'll be able to get the money back to you and all these sorts of things. And I was like, you know what? I really want to help this guy out. His family is suffering. I said, you know what? Um, where are you at with the Lord and everything? Well, you know what? I'm really, dis I'm really having a heart for the Lord. I'd really like to know more about him. We sat there and talked for an hour, and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior at that table in the food court. At the end of that, my heart was very, very soft towards him. So I took him back to my house, introduced him to my family, then went to the ATM, withdrew 300 bucks, and gave it to him. Drove him back to Sunrise Mall, only to find out the whole thing was a con. He was not interested in Jesus Christ. He was not interested in anything but getting cash from me. Never heard from him again. And all that stuff was fake. How do you think I felt? 
That's what I'm talking about. It's embarrassing. You got played. You know what, though? Here's the cool thing about God. My heart hasn't shrank one inch since that day. I don't care. He got 300 bucks from me. I grew. So what? All right, so I didn't have 300 bucks necessarily to give him. All I knew is that someone was hurting, and my heart said yes. That's it. Everything else is on his shoulders. If he played me, that's his business. But in my kindness, I needed to grow a little bit in wisdom. I needed to grow a little bit and mature a little bit and understand a little bit more. Okay? And maybe even to this day I would still get taken in the same way. It's very possible. But all I'm saying is that Satan will use your kindness against you. And try to find a way in. Almost always it happens in romantic relationships. Your compromise will go that way. Oh, but he loves me. Does he really? Oh, she's, she, she really cares about me. You know what, this is, this is for her. It is. So they supersede God. You sure that's the right choice? It says... Three days after they made a treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day they came to their cities, Gibeon, Kepharah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And you don't violate that. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. Boy, that sounds like Moses, right? We're all back to the whole, I hate my leadership. And by the way, leadership sometimes makes bad decisions. And I know there's times when the elders and I are going to make poor decisions and you're all going to go, what a bunch of idiots. You know what? You're probably right. But I can tell you we have good hearts. And I can tell you we're doing our best. That much I'm sure of. Are we going to make bad decisions sometimes? Probably. So they grumbled against them. Why did they grumble against them? Well, it could be for an honest reason. It could be, I can't believe you got duped and the fact that God told us and you didn't listen to the Lord. That's a good reason. Or it could have been a selfish reason of, really, we can't kill them and take all their stuff. Thanks. (laughs) Who knows? But they grumbled against them. But the leaders answered, we've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. They know that when you promise God something, you don't mess with it. Guess who did mess with it years later? King Saul. Second Samuel chapter 21 recounts the story. Saul, in his go Israel attitude, starts wiping out the Gibeonites. God causes a three-year famine to fall across the whole land. He said, you don't touch them. Sure enough, David inherits all this famine, and he says, what am I supposed to do? And God said, go ask the Gibeonites. What do they want? You just wiped out a whole bunch of their people. He said, what do you guys want? They said, we want Saul's seven grandsons. He handed them over to them. They killed them all and hung them out in broad daylight and left them out there. Then the famine went away. You don't break this oath. That's how serious it is. No matter if you're trying to help God out by being super eager, 
all the leaders said, we've given him our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. We can't touch him now. This is what we'll do with them. We'll let them live so the wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. But let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. Meaning we're going to put them into forced labor. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Have you ever been in a scenario in life when you work yourself into a scenario where it's the lesser of two evils? There is no good answer. That's the majority of my counseling issues. Right? It's the, I got my non-Christian girlfriend who I shouldn't have been dating in the first place. I got her pregnant. What do I do? Well, I don't know. We pretty much irritate God either way we go. Uh, First of all, if you marry her, God said very clearly, don't marry an unbeliever. So you just violated his covenant right there. If you drop her because now there's a problem, you're a jerk, and that's not okay with God either. You understand what I'm saying? So we now have a scenario, violate or violate. What do you want to do? Now we have the lesser two evils. That's the type of counseling that ends up happening. If we do not adhere to what God says, we work ourselves into predicaments, right? Where you just go, there is no good answer. God's not pleased with either one of these scenarios. Ah, that's a tough place to be. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you while actually you live right near us? Now, Joshua tends to ask these questions. Like he asked Achan, why'd you steal God's stuff? Those are rhetorical. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get him to face it. What'd you do? You know what you did. I know what you did. Fess up. What is wrong with you? You're messing with God. Don't you get that? You are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. What? What did he just do? He just made them temple helpers. Wait, they're pagans. They don't even believe in your God. Why in the world would you take all your forced laborers and have them work at the temple area? The tabernacle. That's that's weird. There's three possible reasons why he did that. Right? Number one, it could have been a, God, I'm sorry, look, they'll help you out, don't be mad at me. Okay? That could have been number one. That's probably not likely. Number two, it was to purify out their paganism by every day where they at. They're in church. Every day, they focus on the worship of the one true God. Maybe that was it. Or, maybe... They knew that they needed to be forced laborers for the whole community, not just one tribe. And the only way to serve everybody is to serve the common place called the tabernacle. Maybe it was practical. Either way, it was effective. Listen to where the story goes. So the leader's promise to them was kept. It says, they answered Joshua. He said, why did you do it? They said, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that's why we did it. We're now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they didn't kill him. And that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord and the place that God would choose which is initially Gibeon, then Shiloh, then Jerusalem. And that is what they are to this day. This is going to cause an immediate problem for Israel, them losing this issue, compromise, making a bogus treaty. This is going to cost them. 
But after God redeems this situation, the Gibeonites are never recorded to cause them any more trouble. As a matter of fact, they so fully integrate into Israel, they help when Israel comes back from captivity, and 500 of them help Nehemiah rebuild the Jerusalem wall. They are that close to Israel. God takes all this failure and transforms it into a blessing. All right, so what do we make out of this? What's practical? Do you see how God is discipling Israel along the way? Right? They go through the whole Achan touch God stuff and they didn't take God seriously. They got beat down. They fell apart. Oh, God must not love us. He said, of course they love you. But I'm going to discipline you. Let's fix it. They fix it. They just get back up on their feet. Yeah, we're going to recommit. We're going to recommit. Oh, compromise. Fall back on their face. God goes, come on, stand back up. We can do this. I can turn this into blessing. All right, come on, kids. Let's go. And they, okay, okay. Fall on their face again. This is us. We're talking about our lives. We're talking about what we live every day. You know how it is. I'm all fired up for the Lord. Ah, run in your face. Oh, wait, now I'm all fired up. Now I'm doing leadership. Now I'm doing ministry and I'm serving. Poof, on your face. Because God keeps going, listen to me. Listen, I know you're excited. <laughs> listen to me. I know you want to run out and do everything. Calm down. All right. What did I tell you to do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Okay. You do know. Stop doing that. Calm down. What I ask you to do. Well, you asked me to do this. All right. What are you going to do? I think I'm going to do that. Okay, good. That was excellent. Right? And we make it all complicated. And he keeps going, just do what I asked you to do. And we're going to make it through this. But no, don't start jumping around and making up new stuff. Finally, I leave this challenge with you. Servants, part of their job is to watch the door for the king. You only let in people with the approved list. Not your friends that showed up and want to come hang out. You keep all the doors locked all the time. I know they're your buddies. I know that they're all doing it. I know that it would be easier to just do it. Don't. I know that he will keep dating you if you sleep with him. I get that. He will likely leave you if you don't. I get that. But to compromise for someone you love is not truly loving at all. Because what you just did was help them destroy the very fabric of who they are. But boy, when you love someone, it makes it all that much harder. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, we understand that we are consistently being scouted by the enemy for a way to get in. And I pray, Lord, that through obedience, you would help us lock all the doors. Lord, that we would not say, oh, I know them, or oh, I'm going to be a nice guy. But whether it's a front confrontation, or a backwards slide into our lives, that we would keep the enemy out. 
because we say yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.